Hello out there in listener land. <laughs> this is Rami bringing you another episode of the Bonfires of Social Enterprise. This episode is all about mushrooms. Did you know there are all different types of mushrooms that can be grown indoors? And there's a mushroom factory in Detroit. Well, you will meet Deanna and Chris and hear all about their story from concept, how they've met, all the way up until now. And as customary, I always like to introduce a song from a Detroit artist at the end of each episode, so stay tuned until the end. Okay, let's see what Luke has for our fun fuel today. Hi, this is Luke Trombley, and I'm bringing you the fun fuel for this episode. Did you know that there are over 30 species of mushrooms that glow in the dark? chemical reaction involved in this is called bioluminescence, which produces a glowing light known as fox fire. Some people will actually use this fungi to light paths through the woods. Thank you for listening to this fun fuel. Enjoy the episode! Very nice, Luke. Glowing in the dark. What a fungi. <laughs> okay, Rami, enough with the bad jokes. Let's listen in to what Deanna and Chris are up to and how this all began. Okay, great. Well, welcome, Deanna and Chris, to the podcast, Bonfires of Social Enterprise. Got your cool business here. Let's, let's talk about the Detroit Mushroom Factory. Great. Well, thanks for having us. Um, just give a little background. We're a mushroom farm. We grow right now just out of our home. We live in Detroit and we grow mushrooms in the basement. Um, we grow on a substrate that comprises spent brewery grain that we get donated to us from a brewery in Detroit called Detroit Beer Company. And we mix that with sawdust that we get donated to us from a local woodworker named Richard Ghana. And so those two things we combine, we add mushroom spawn and then we grow those mushrooms and sell them mostly to local restaurants. Wow, so let's let's go over that one more time just in case uh, <laughs> from term, just for terminology. So you grow the mushrooms in your basement on what was that? It was a bent say that again? Oh spent brewery grain. So when beers when beer is brewed at a brewery, they are left over with all this grain that comes out of the mash tun and that's usually a waste for them. So our model, kind of our one one of the aims of our business is to be a totally sustainable farm. And so we have committed to growing only on recycled materials and spent brewery grain as one of those materials. Okay, brewery grain, just uh, for those listening in other languages. Okay, and then oh yeah, and then the sawdust. Okay, so wow, that's amazing. And so, do you need a lot of room for that in your basement well we, we don't have it i <laughs> i was just gonna say we use uh you know we have a we have one of these old houses in detroit it's a four bedroom house and it's just uh dina myself and our dog so we have currently have three bedrooms and the basement and part of the backyard dedicated just to the mushrooms so it does <laughs> does put quite a bit of space i would say um it takes quite a bit of sort of uh equipment and it's it's a little maybe more complicated uh, on the front end than maybe your traditional farming or your gardening um, because it requires equipment. For instance, we take that, that, that grain, which is usually barley from the brewery, mix it with the sawdust, and then we need to sterilize it. So the mushrooms grow in, a, in, a, in these special plastic bags that are 
sterilized. And so we do that in these autoclaves that are basically like big pressure cookers. And then we move that whole operation into one of our bedrooms, which has been set up basically like a clean room, like a lab. Um, and so nature really does not like sterile environments. It does not like cleanliness. So uh, we're constantly fighting things like mold and things like bacteria. Um, you know, nature really likes chaos, so it's always fighting us. We want to grow one particular mushroom um, where nature wants us to grow all kinds of molds and things that, that are uh, always trying to get in the way. <laughs> That's so fun. All right, so the end product is mushrooms. How did you guys originally come up with this? I mean, I met you, what, was it three years ago now? Th four? Yeah. Or, yeah, three years ago. I think okay. 2014 is when we were in our build social class and, and met Marcus and met you. Um, so the, the business was really, I mean, we, we had the intention of starting a business when we lived, when we moved to Detroit, we had both had careers kind of in other sectors and were looking for a change. Um, we actually left where we were living in California and drove all around the country looking for where we wanted to live next. So we lived out of our car for about nine months and just toured around went to different cities that people had recommended to us, went to different towns, and Detroit really stood out. We really loved it here. And, and once we decided to settle here, we thought, okay, well, maybe this is a place where we can try a business experiment. Um, and Chris has had a lot of mushroom growing experience even before we were in Detroit that maybe he can talk about. Yeah, let's hear it, Chris. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I had, uh, I had grown mushrooms just as a hobby. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a person who takes hobbies way too far. So when I was in California, <laughs> um, I got like a little interest in growing mushrooms. I, I think I ordered a kit, you know, and so you buy these kits online or wherever, you can get them in grocery stores now, where basically you make a little slit in a bag and then you get mushrooms growing out. Um, and it, they work great. Um, but my brain immediately went to like, well, I can't just keep buying kits and I need to figure out how to make my own kits or something like that. And so I just started learning and buying equipment and little by little my the apartment I lived in started getting totally filled with mushroom grow bags and the entire place was just like set up for growing mushrooms it was my living space and my lab I mean it's not that different from how we do it now um, <laughs> yeah, but, so, but that's when we were first getting to know each other so as a perspective mate when Chris and I first started dating I went to his house and I, you know, a few flags went up because it's like there's mushrooms growing out of phone books and there's an old trunk with mushrooms growing out of it. And <laughs> he won me over. He did. He made me a delicious dinner out of mushrooms that he had grown himself. And so he did. He won in the end. But it was a lot to begin <laughs> at the beginning. People, uh, um, people talk about, you know, when they're kids, they want to be a, you know, a fireman or an astronaut or whatever. Uh, I, I wanted to be a mad scientist. I would, always, I would take like I would take everything and mix it together. I took all the shampoo and all the whatever, all the mouthwash, and I mixed it together. And uh, luckily, none of it was like uh, you know, was, there was no like bleach and ammonia or something. To, all right. to uh, but I just I wanted to mix everything together and see what would happen. And like mostly nothing or entirely nothing happened. So um, now that I've gotten older, I think uh, the mushrooms really rekindle that because, like, like, as we said, like it's it's really it's, it's difficult in some ways. But uh, it requires a lot of really weird equipment and just like it's it's just strange in a lot of ways. So it 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 just tickles me in that way, in that same mad scientist way. Well, that's so and, fun. And when we when we got to Detroit, we we were really taken with how much urban farming is going on here, and that was part of why we fell in love with the city. And when we were 
conceiving of our business, we wanted to find a way to fit into that urban farming community without directly competing with other growers because it's hard to make your living growing kale. Um, and there's a lot of people trying to do it. And so it felt like we had this kind of unique way to fit into the market because there aren't really other people growing mushrooms for commercial um, sales within the city. And so that felt like kind of our, our niche. And Chris had the experience. We had some of the equipment. My background is as an educator. So I quickly wanted to learn as much as I could and help other people understand the process. And it, it just kind of I don't know, snowballed from there. Now we have a house filled with mushrooms. <laughs> right. And it, sounds, somehow. and it sounds like you've got uh, some customers, some, you said restaurants are starting to buy them, right? Yeah, we've been so overwhelmed and grateful by the support of the restaurants in the city. I, from the very beginning, really before we had our act together, before we were taking ourselves seriously as a business, we kind of sheepishly mentioned a couple of restaurants that we like to eat at that we were trying to be a mushroom farm and immediately they just open arms welcomed us said they would buy whatever we had so we've had some really loyal customers from the very beginning rose's fine food has been buying our mushrooms since before we had mushrooms basically they just their their owner molly mitchell said whatever you have i'll buy um, and they've been so supportive and so patient sometimes we have them sometimes we don't and then as the kind of local food landscape has grown even more in the city, other restaurants have gotten in touch and been interested. Sister Pie uses our mushrooms sometimes. Brooklyn Street Local is a very committed customer. We sell through Grown in Detroit, which is a co-op of growers at Eastern Market. So we've been really lucky. We have a lot of different outlets and people seem willing to go that extra mile to support local farmers. And, and that's why we're in business. Yeah. Wow. That's a good word. So this does anyone this is an odd question from somebody who doesn't understand your business but does anyone have any trouble that with the fact that you're growing in your home or I mean because usually it's probably better than just out in the random woods right <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I, mean, I don't uh, think that's a <laughs> yeah I was just gonna say uh, I mean people certainly sell foraged mushrooms it's a it's a it's it's an entirely different um sort of set of skills you know foraging mushrooms and identifying them is really, really complicated in its own way. Um, so yeah, I mean, the way we go right now is, um, it's a business on the way to becoming a business. It's a, you know, it's, a, we came in with maybe the most important quality for new business owners or new business founders, which is like, um, we were utterly naive about how difficult it was going to be. <laughs> um, and we yeah. often talk to each other and we say, if we knew all of what we have to do with now, then would we even have done it? Um, because, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do now is grow. So we have, we grow in our house, uh, we, but we, we're not producing at nearly the level we need to, to really have a business that can, you know, support our demand and ourselves. And um, so we also have a, have this warehouse that we uh, uh, purchased what, two years ago now, a year ago. Um, also in Detroit. Last July. Yep. Last July, uh, about, you know, about five minutes from our house, house in uh, kind of the north end of Detroit. Um, and so now we're trying to move basically from a large hobby farm into a small, you know, true production farm and just learning so much about the challenges that that, that, that poses. And very few of them so far are about growing mushrooms. It's about, uh, you know, de developing this, this, this building that's seen better days um, and, and growing, just continuing to grow, be aggressive. Yeah, that's so good. I love what you just said. I mean, you're, why are you growing mushrooms? You're trying to grow your business. <laughs> 
it's like, there's always more shenanigans that happen and just the running the business part that I think people understand is just everything from the financial part to operations, execution, marketing, communications. And uh, I mean, oh my gosh, what about customer service? <laughs> so right, it's yeah. like everything, you know, it's, it's a lot when you're um, a small team trying to scale at least even just to the next step. Yeah, and uh, it's funny right. how little of it ends up being, like, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. That's been my background. So I'm technical. I want the problem. I want it to grow better mushrooms. And uh, it's amazing how little, at least early on, that is the problem. You know, it becomes, it's, it's about running a business. It's the problems of running a business more so. You know, your passion takes you to a certain point, And then you have to say, okay, now I got to, like, do my books. And I got to do the taxes. And we have to find funding. And we have to, all these things that are, it's definitely not what I thought of when I was when we were first thinking. It's like, no, we're going to spend our days just you know waist deep in mushrooms, trying to grow better ones and quality and all this. And it's like you just get distracted by so many things. That focusing on you know any one thing is very difficult. For, you know, early on. Yeah, I well, I think uh, one of my partners spent about two hours this morning trying to get a form corrected in the state of Michigan from our payroll department that they messed up. So yeah. It has nothing to do with it's just the shenanigans of business sometimes, you know. Well, gosh, let's go yeah, back to the mushrooms. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to agree with you that it's, I'm ever surprised at how often things come down to a misspelling on a form or a form being filed in the wrong place. So I can really connect to your colleague. Yeah, yeah. She's like, geez, you know, it's only 10 a.m. I feel exhausted from this. We didn't even do it. So like, yeah, so it's funny how all that has to, you just need an enormous amount of endurance to get through those kind of things so you can spend the time doing what you love. So let's go back to those mushrooms. It was I was going to say, um, so what is sort of the grow cycle for a mushroom? Like how long does it take? Tell us about more about the mushrooms. Sure. sure. Uh, so we, we well, <laughs> you want to take this one, Chris? You're the mushroom guy. You should take it. Oh, sorry. You can jump in. Um, so, I mean, the people, uh, the kind of questions we get off, you know, where do you buy your seeds and, um, you know, what do you just plant them in soil, things like that. Um, growing mushrooms is, is, entirely different from growing crops in soil, um, growing plants, you know, they're, they're an entirely different kingdom. Um, instead of planting a seed, waiting for the plant to grow and then harvesting whatever the fruit is, what we do is um, we use the, the mushroom tissue, um, which we might have on a Petri dish or something like that. And we, we put that into the substrate, which as we said, is like sterilized barley and sawdust and then basically wait and the mushroom tissue actually clones itself and colonizes the substrate and then actually consumes it so as opposed to a plant that's kind of spits its roots and maybe take certain minerals mushrooms are the great decomposers so they are breaking down the they're, they're like a they're like an external stomach you know the the part of the mushroom that you see the actual mushroom is really just like the fruit it is like it's the apple on the apple tree the tree itself is all underground and it's breaking down substrate, it's breaking down wood or, um, you know, whatever the particular species likes to eat. So first we let it colonize on these bags, it gets completely colonized. And then we move it into a, you know, a high humidity, um, somewhat like bright, you know, it's not, it's probably not what a lot of people picture. It's not a dark cave or anything like that. They, they need some light. 
they need a lot of fresh air. So think like, uh, think a forest, you know, think where you would find them. It's like dappled light, it's high humidity, and it's a lot of fresh air. And so we put them in these specialized rooms, basically, that we control the environment in, and then make slits in these bags, and the mushrooms just push right out. They grow right out of these bags, and then we harvest them right off of those. And then finally, we are left with the stent material that works great, you know, as an amendment to soil or something. So we tend to work with other farmers to say, hey, take all this material that we're done with and put it back into your farm so you can grow more, you know, whatever, uh, kale, barley, you know, it becomes sort of a closed loop. So we're not really throwing anything away. And how long does all that take? Well, it depends on the variety a little bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it depends. It depends on the variety of mushroom a little bit. Um, the most popular variety we're growing right now is called oyster mushrooms. They're a common um, kind of gourmet mushroom. They're a little bit different than what you usually see in the grocery store, not that kind of white button mushroom. And to grow a round of oyster mushrooms start to finish if we start, like Chris was describing, um, by introducing mushroom tissue culture to a substrate, probably from then through when we're harvesting is about six weeks. Um, but once the substrate is fully colonized, the mushrooms get very tenacious and they want to be growing. And so we can harvest a couple of times off of a block of substrate. And that will happen within two to three weeks. It will harvest and then another um, round of mushrooms will get what we call a second flush and we'll, we're able to harvest that again. So it's kind of a system of trying to stay a little bit ahead of yourself and anticipating six weeks down the road, oh, I'm going to want this many of this kind, what do I need to be doing today? And that is a big part of our business that we need to be thinking about really critically as we think about scaling into this warehouse space, because we grow right now in maybe 120 square feet, not a large area, and we're moving into a building that is 8,500 square feet. <laughs> so wow. we're just on the cusp of this giant um, leap into scaling. And, you know, I think you mentioned before, just trying to, to navigate the how do we grow and how do we how do we scale? We're not taking baby steps. We decided we were just kind of going to go for it because we didn't want to be in the name of leasing a medium-sized space for a couple of years and then having to move the, the whole operation a couple of years after that. We decided we're just going to try it, either do great or fail fast. Yeah. <laughs> and we're we're right on the cusp of figuring out if we're going to fail fast. So we'll see. <laughs> you won't, you won't fail. You won't fail. <laughs> you guys <laughs> are superstars. <laughs> the process, uh, well, the process of growing them ends up being a lot. Uh, it's, it's almost a manufacturing process and uh, it would be much more familiar to someone who'd been to a beer brewery. It's actually kind of similar to that. You know, when you brew beer, you're taking a fungus, which is your yeast and you're introducing it to, um, you know, the, the sugary liquid, and then it turns into beer, it ferments. So it's really similar to that. It's a, it's a production cycle. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's life acturing and being in Detroit, which is the great manufacturing city, uh, it feels, you know, that, that feels fairly appropriate. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. This is so fun. Now, mushrooms are um, a delicacy in many, many places. Like, how, how does that play into the story or the marketing or? Yeah, they've been, and I feel like even recently they've become a little bit more popular. I think we've been fortunate to hit the market at a good time when people are being really conscious about not only where they're sourcing their food, but what they're eating. And so Chris and I are both vegetarians, so mushrooms have been a big part of our diet just as an alternative protein. 
Um, but more and more, I think because there's so many adventurous cooks and chefs in the area who are interested in offering healthy options or vegetarian options, people seem really excited to see different varieties of mushrooms that maybe they can't access through their large food distributors or um, through kind of a generic grocery store. So we've been really surprised and, and pretty in awe of how excited people are if we say, oh, we're, you know, we're kind of trying this new variety. Do you think you'd want to try it? Some, some ones that you maybe would never have seen. We grow a variety called Lion's Mane, which if you just encountered it, I would not think it was food. It looks kind of like a puffball. It has these kind of shaggy, pointy um, teeth that hang off of it. It is not traditional mushroom shape. And so we'll sometimes kind of bring these to, to the restaurants that we work with and say, hey, do you, do you maybe want to try this? And every time people have been really excited and every once in a while we get a little sample of what they've been cooking and, and then we've become really loyal customers back to those restaurants because they do such good work with the Aww. raw ingredients. So yeah, it, feel, it feels like a good time to be in the mushroom game. Uh, yeah. People's palates. <laughs> eager to to try more vegetables and um maybe cut meat and cut you know other higher fat things from their diet and so mushrooms tend to be pulled in as a good meat substitute kind of have that umami quality to them uh, yeah yeah and so that kind of uh makes us makes another I guess, impact circle here because you're having all these sourcing all these sustainable materials and closing the loop with your output or your waste, if you will. I love all that. And then mushrooms are just healthier, aren't they? They are. And I think it's a nice way to round out, you know, one of our favorite um, places where we sell is with the Grown in Detroit co-op at Eastern Market. So from April through October, there's a co-op of growers um, that's organized by a nonprofit called Keep Growing Detroit. And, and a portion of that nonprofit facilitates a co-op of growers selling at Eastern Market, but they take care of all the overhead. So we're not in charge of our stall fee. We don't have to be there every week. It's a real point of entry for smaller growers to get their produce in front of Eastern Market shoppers. And we have sold out of mushrooms every time we sell at Eastern Market. And I think that also speaks to Detroiters just being willing to try either foods that are unfamiliar to them or being really specifically sourcing foods that they know are healthy. So my favorite is giving the mushrooms directly to Detroiters for our neighbors. That's what feels the best. <laughs> really direct, you know, it's like, oh, I grew this and now you're going to go home and eat it. And people will come home and tell us or come back and tell us how they prepared it. And it, that starts to feel like a real food community, which is what I get really excited about. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, people don't realize uh, how much of a food community there is in Detroit. I mean, I, I think when I talk about it, I think the Eastern Market has a really big uh, influence on that. I think it's become such a destination, but I don't think people realize how many good foodies there are, both putting output and, and consumers. I mean, it's a real culture here. Yeah, and new oh, restaurants yeah. opening every day, it seems like there's some, there's some new restaurant. I think something that we've always been targeting is um, really growing this wide variety of mushrooms because there's all kinds of mushrooms that you know people have never even tried. There's Namiko mushrooms, which are these weird, slimy little things that are um, you know, a delicacy and um, like Japanese soups and uh, just these things that just people are not exposed to because they're not around. They're not easily... Uh, you know, button mushrooms are 
everywhere because they're very easily industrialized. They ship really well, they last a long time. Some of these ones, they just don't last on the shelf. So if we can play our part in making the food scene in Detroit a little more interesting by bringing you know, strange mushroom varieties to these chefs and say like, do what you can with it. You may have never used it, but just let us know how it goes. Um, that would be really exciting. And you know, we're, we've been humbled by how difficult uh, uh, the whole process is so you know we're, we're we're setting our sights appropriately but that's sort of the goal is like let's let's really try to um, you know bring a lot of variety to the scene super fun how did you guys figure out how to price this kind of item i think that's always a quandary for social entrepreneurs when they have a niche product yeah i forgot there's a cliche um there's like three different ways of collecting your pricing i, I forgot how the, how the cliche goes um, but one of them is basically you, you, you kind of randomly select. And I, and I think that's maybe the closest <laughs> to how we, uh, we landed on it. We kind of just used into, I don't know, Diana, was yeah. there more to it than that? I, I mean, I think there were a couple back of the napkin calculations. Like, oh, how much did it cost when we bought that that one time? And I think the biggest quandary for us has been trying to put a price on our time because there really is pretty low overhead day to day for our operation. You know, we get a lot of our materials given to us because they're waste products from other businesses. There's a couple of very high dollar things like the real estate piece and getting into this building. But once we're operational in the warehouse, day-to-day -day inputs are low, but it's very time intensive. Um, so Chris currently works full-time and helps manage the farm. I just recently left my full-time job to try to manage the farm full-time. And I've been stunned at how it will just expand to fill the time I give it all of the chores for the farm. I, I kind of thought, oh, this is going to be a little break for me. You know, I'll farm in the morning and maybe pursue hobbies in the afternoon. And mm -hmm. that really smacked me in the face. Um, so the pricing, I think, I think it's, yeah, it lands somewhere between kind of pulling it out of thin air and just being conscientious shoppers ourselves. I mean, I just happen to be someone who loves food so much that I get excited to go to the farmer's market and see, oh, what's this person selling and what are they selling it for? So I think I was maybe a little bit more literate of food cost than potentially the average person, certainly not a chef or someone who's doing inventory at a restaurant. But what I noticed is you can get button mushrooms, which are those industrial, uh, industrialized crop dirt cheap. I mean, those are selling for a dollar a pound, $2 a pound. Um, and they're either imported from China or they're grown in Pennsylvania, which is the button mushroom capital of the country. They have these huge farms there that are um, producing millions and millions of pounds and just shipping them all over the country. So we knew right from the get-go, we were never going to be competing on that. We can't compete on price, especially for kind of a more basic mushroom. So we set our sales rates at between $10 and $12 a pound wholesale, depending on the variety. Um, and it's a little bit more retail. We do sell at one retail location, the Farmer's Hand, which is a kind of a boutique grocery store in the Corktown neighborhood of Detroit. Um, and it's been, I think it's been a learning curve. You know, we, I think our prices work for us right now. And I think we'll learn a little bit more as we scale Hopefully, I think what we're banking on is that our costs will actually go down, save the cost of starting up in the building. And so then it will be um, an even higher profit margin. I don't know. Do you agree with that, Chris? Did I just invent that? <laughs> no, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we can't compete on price because we're small. So we have to compete on things like quality and um, service. And, you know, we, we really, we like truly are friends with basically everyone we sell through. So 
you know, that's an advantage that, you know, people ask, hey, what, you know, who are your competitors? And someone could swoop in tomorrow and set up a mushroom farm in Detroit if they wanted, if they had lots of money. Um, but there's a, uh, you know, we truly live here. We truly know these people and our friends. And um, so that's something that's not easy to um, pull out of thin air. That kind of no amount of money can necessarily reconstruct something like that. So I think it's, that's something we really value. Um, and especially as we grow, as we scale, you know, I'm sure we'll be looking at our pricing model and always, always learn, always try to iterate kind of our We've ethos. Been, I, something that was surprising to me is where we found community of other mushroom farmers. There, there aren't a ton in Michigan that we've met, but because of the world of social media we're living in, we tapped into this world on Instagram of mushroom farmers all around the country. And that <laughs> honestly is where we've gotten a lot of our information about scaling to commercial farming status. We compare prices with people that way. We are very close with a farm in, in Maine. Um, they have kind of taken on almost a mentorship status with us. We will call them when we have questions and they're always willing to troubleshoot. So Aww, I think another fun. thing that we're benefiting from that we wouldn't have anticipated is, is just social media drawing out. You know, the mushroom crowd is kind of a lot of weirdos. <laughs> and so we found our fellow weirdos <laughs> online and now we can all talk to each other. About I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm glad that we just talked about this, um, pricing the time into it. I, and, and we have done the same thing at our company where, you know, you're just pricing the cost of the basic things, but you're not putting the time costs into it or especially the founders, uh, don't yep. put their own, uh, salary in there or costs in there. Cause gosh, you're just working around the clock. So it's sort of hard to grab that price, but it is good. It's always cost more than you really think it does because the mistake so many make is that so many entrepreneurs make at basic sustainability is not pricing their, their stuff high enough. And it's tricky when you're in a niche because there's not a set a way to do it. It's like a little bit of an experiment of what the market will bear combined with what your real costs are to survive. So, and I think it's an ever changing landscape, you know? Exactly. No, it, it definitely feels like an experiment. And I think, um, you know, with our situation, we sometimes fantasize about when we will finally move this operation out of our home. Because another thing that I struggle with, like you were saying about kind of managing our time investment we live in our farm. And so it's not like we're ever off the clock. We can wake up at, you know, six in the morning, do something for the farm. Chris will do some of his day job, but then he'll stand up for 15 minutes and come back. So it's, I think, I think an area where we both really hope to grow is really kind of locking down what our time investment is and then figuring out how do we how do we monetize that? What, what is my time? You know, cause right now it's, it's just how I spend all my days. So it's hard to step back from it and say, well, what should I be getting paid for this? What, what will success look like if I get a paycheck from myself? You know, that whole concept of writing myself a paycheck still feels very far in the future. Um, but I'm excited for when that day will come. <laughs> right. Definitely. And uh, some people feel shame over paying themselves a paycheck when they love their work so much. And <laughs> we're all starting to encourage, like, no, you got to pay yourself. No, I can't wait to pay myself. I think I'll <laughs> feel, I think that will feel like real success for us, you know, because right now it does, it feels like a glorified hobby. And I think it's been important that we 
talk like we're a business and we treat ourselves like a business because we had to take ourselves seriously in order for anyone else to take us seriously. But now we're waiting for everything to follow and, and for things to kind of fall in line and, and for us to scale in a way where the numbers will appeal to investors. And um, we're, we're just entering that world of approaching lenders to help with our building renovation. And that's been its whole own set of you know, educational experiences, certainly, but also really making me focus on the numbers much more, which I'm, which I'm grateful to be doing. I think I feel more confident as a business owner that I could speak to what our costs are. Um, whereas before, if someone asked me, I would kind of just say, oh, you know, <laughs> it feels better to speak with some authority on this business that we're trying to run. Yeah, it feels empowering. You know, it's Absolutely. funny, we used to we used to have a saying around here, I, I used to say it in the beginning a lot of our company's beginnings, I'm like, this is such a fun job, it's going to be great one day when I'm paid for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. a t-shirt made with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so in the media, the immediate horizon is getting this uh, into the warehouse and getting that set up, and then if you you know, like let yourself dream big of what your truth is of this moment, you know, <laughs> like what could this go off to be like? What could be a big dream about this? Sure. Well, I think it'll be fun to hear both of ours because I know Chris and I come at this from slightly different directions and I get really excited when our two perspectives connect. So Chris, do you want to go first and share what your dream is? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, something we like, you know, we own this warehouse that we're trying to uh, yeah, renovate. Uh, it's surrounded by a lot of empty space, empty lots full of garbage and, uh, you know, not, not in the best shape. Um, so, you know, I think something that is maybe, you know, attainable in the somewhat short to medium term would be, you know, taking the stuff that is just going to waste, you know, nothing's happening, nothing's been happening in this building for many years, making it useful again, uh, maybe cleaning up some of these lots, putting them to use, just, you know, Using the resources that are that are there um, for, for, you know, for good again. Um, personally, for myself, yeah, I have a background as a software engineer. A lot of my jobs in my past have involved sitting at a desk for eight to, you know, eight to all of the hours um, in a day, <laughs> and um, you know, just it's it's kind of all or nothing. It's either I'm in an office working that kind of job, or I'm have no kind of job and I'm trying to start a mushroom farm. I would love to find a middle ground. That, you know, I don't want to leave technology behind. I've actually built a lot of, um, we, we call ourselves an open source mushroom farm. And so I've built a lot of software, uh, put together a lot of things like Arduino and Raspberry Pi and sensor networks to try to um, kind of merge the technology and the, uh, and the farming. So, and, and, I've, and we've met a lot of people who find that very interesting. They're like, yeah, I like, you know, a soldering iron in my hand and a computer, but I, I also like, getting my hands dirty and you know, that's me. So I would love to find something where we could even potentially bring people on we, Oh, you're coming at it from more of the agriculture side. Well, would you like to come on and maybe work with us, help us out on the farming side, but then maybe cross train on some of this technology side and then find people who are more on the technology side and say, well, we'll come on in. Part of your job is going to involve, um, you know, moving mushroom blocks around, you know, it's, it's not all one or the other. It's, it's some sort of hybrid. Um, and just like if you can come in every day and your job is interesting and challenging, then, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of job I, I, I would always want. Uh, wow, that's great. That's great. And, and that connects so well with what my goals are because I get really excited when I start thinking about the need for taking on employees, which when we're in this new space, we definitely will. Um, 
with a background in teaching. I taught middle school, high school, and um, also did some teacher coaching for a long time. So I love thinking about how people best learn and what makes people motivated to want to learn. And I think there is an intersection between that and the need for job creation in the city that will really feel empowering for people. Like one of the things that we really love and admire about Rose's Fine Food, which is the restaurant that we sell to the most, is that they, from the beginning, when they were a startup restaurant and they're, they just had their third birthday as a restaurant, um, from the very beginning, they said, more than anything, we're committed to paying our staff a living wage. And I think if you come out of the gate with that and you hold yourself to it, um, good things will follow from it. So I, I get really excited thinking about how we could train people up to have jobs that are fulfilling and interesting and, and diversifying their skill set. Like Chris was saying, you know, maybe on a Monday you're shoveling grain, but on a Tuesday you're learning to write a software program. Um, and I also get excited about how that could kind of affect the greater community. I like the idea of our farm eventually being an education zone where we're hosting school field trips and doing some hands-on science. Our, our warehouse is right around the corner from a K through eight elementary school in Detroit. And I've reached out to some of the teachers there and we're just in the early stages of talking about what, a, what an attractive science field trip would look like for them and, and how we might be able to offer that moving forward. Um, and then if I dream really big, I think, hey, this, this model kind of has something to it. What if we replicated this throughout some of these other Rust Belt area cities that are dealing with similar challenges where there's vacant real estate that's a little bit obsolete, where there are some areas of food insecurity where people are depending on, you know, convenience stores and liquor stores and, and maybe don't have direct access to fresh, healthy produce. What if we just took this model and made, I don't know, a Cincinnati mushroom factory or a Cleveland mushroom factory or, or see if we can scale it in that way and help empower other communities that are having similar um, I don't know, the word revitalization is a, is a tricky one for me, but that are having a similar moment in time as Detroit is. Um, so if I think 10 years down the road and there were three mushroom factories throughout the Midwest, I think we would feel really proud and like we had done more than maybe we even thought was possible. Oh, yeah. Well, I love this idea. This is so fascinating. You guys are a great team and uh, it's been really fun having you on the show. How would, uh, how would um, people reach you on social media or do you have a website? Yeah, thanks for having us too. So people can reach us. We're just Detroit Mushroom Factory on all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and then if people want to get in touch directly, we're um, our website is DetroitMushroomFactory.com, and it has links to our email addresses there. We're really interested in, in what people think, and if people have suggestions, we love to kind of go back and forth with people on Instagram or on Facebook or on the website and hear, you know, if people are curious or they have suggestions. We have given a couple local workshops on home mushroom cultivation, and we'll have more of those coming um, throughout the fall and then into the new year. So, And hopefully we'll be hosting them at our new space. So there's, there's some things to look out for from us, for sure. Oh, so fun. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, I'll be coming by your place and checking it out in person. All right. You're welcome anytime. Thank you so much for having us and for asking all these great questions. Well, I'm ready to try some new mushrooms. <laughs> Very cool. 
I forgot to ask them if any of their mushrooms glow in the dark. <laughs> Next time. All right, let's grab our song brought to us by our friends at Assemble Sound in Detroit. Please meet artist Dan Tillery with his song, My Greatest Joy Dance Mix. Until next time, keep those bonfires burning. Sunday 